right now in a studio the long overdue conversation i've been waiting for i have been joined by Dr. Radhir Mahad, um, who has a background in environmental science and water. I'm going to find out about these things, inshallah. And he has received extensive technical training in Germany, Denmark, Belgium, Tunisia, and Morocco. And uh, he is actually a friend of the continent because he travels a lot with his work. He interacts with a lot of people. Doctor, welcome to Drive Time on IFM. Actually, it's such an honor and a privilege having you in the studio. And uh, with your expertise, um, I was actually shocked and surprised when I saw you walking into the studio. I was like, okay, oh, today is the day, right? <laughs> they say uh, in Port Elizabeth, anything's possible. Eh? Yes, yes. So before anything else, actually, I know I do have the bio of you in front of me. I do have everything. But uh, most of the times I do undervalue or overvalue my guest. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what I do, I like to leave the bio to the owner so that at least, you know, they do authentic to, 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 their, to, their, to their story. So who is Dr. Ghadir? You can drop the doctor because that's for the children in the classroom. <laughs> uh, we can start there, but alhamdulillah, uh, born and bred, uh, Cape Flats, you know, grew up there, went to school, went to UWC, University of the Western Cape, and I ended up at university in a very strange way because. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I actually started out as a shelf packer at ShopRite for $7.20 an hour in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I thought to myself, there's no ways I'm going to do this for the mm. rest of my life, you know. Mm. And I uh, ended up going to university and uh, I, I thought to myself, I met a few people and these guys told me, no, do mathematics and do finance, become an accountant, that kind of stuff. Mm. Because uh, I heard about the guy that was living in Santon and he was making good money. And I thought, okay, maybe become an investment banker. Mm. Drive a Porsche, live in Santon, live the good life. <laughs> yes. And this one professor comes into the class, register for a general BSc. He comes into the class, he tells us we're killing the environment mm. and the planet is dying. And I thought, okay, let's fix this problem. Mm. And that's just how I got into environmental science and water. And actually, ironically, groundwater is the only subject that I used to like to go to class to. Mm. The others was just boring, you know. <laughs> and I guess I found my passion and my calling along the way. Finished the BSc, got the one or two scholarships, alhamdulillah, for the postgrad. Mm. Did a master's, worked a little bit, did a PhD. Ended up here in PE about 10, 12 years ago to finish a PhD off. Found my wife in PE. SubhanAllah, you know, Allah yes. sends you to... You know, strange places, if you will. Mm. And now I'm back in P. I've been here about four or five years working at the university, doing research, helping, you know, municipalities, uh, training students. So, you know, uh, to all the listeners out there, especially the young guys, you know, find find your calling. Mm. Find something you're passionate about. Like yourself, Shafiq. I mean, I listen to you on the radio and I can hear, now this guy likes what he does, what he's doing, you know. <laughs> So love what you do and be passionate about what you do. And, and you know, inshallah, you'll find success. 
Inshallah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm in a studio with, uh, okay, he said I must drop the doctor part, but uh, I'm going to insist and say Dr. Radhir Mahat. <laughs> uh, he's the author of uh, Climate Change, Lessons from the Quran and Sunnah. We are going to be having a chat with him and uh, getting to know him better and understand everything on his expertise. And uh, if you would like to ha- ask a question or maybe you want to ask anything from him, you can do so by texting us on 067-236-3487. You can drop us a voice note or maybe a WhatsApp text message or even a phone call uh, so that we can interact with them in the studio, inshallah. And with that said, you said you were born uh, braid in, uh, in, in, Kepla, in Cape Town, right? Yeah. And you were battered and jammed in uh, Port Elizabeth. Yeah, battered and jammed. Yeah. In, you could say so. <laughs> yeah, all know? right. So how is it like uh, growing up in, uh, in, in the Cape Flats? Look, uh, Cape Town, especially the Cape Flats back in the day was not... It's a little bit different to what it was today. And, you know, um, you grow up around guys that, that, that are doing things that are questionable. But at the end of the day, I mean, subhanAllah, like your parents, you know, they, they put you on the straight path, if you will. Mm. And if they don't put you on the straight path verbally, they'll use a belt yeah. or a slipper. Mm. So, you know, growing up in that environment obviously shapes you in many ways. But... Uh, you have options. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to realize to yourself, and this, I mean, this is to the young kids out there as well. Mm. You have to consciously make the decision around where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? And what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? And then just work your backside off, Mm. you know, and keep focus. And it doesn't matter. Yes, your environment shapes you and there's things around you that impact or affect you. But at the end of the day, making that conscious decision and working towards that that goal. And and importantly, like yourself, I, when I listen to you on the radio, I can hear you enjoying the process. Yes. You have to enjoy the process because there's a saying that says, once you've climbed the first mountain, it's actually the base of the next mountain. Mm. So you'll be climbing mountains for the rest of your life. Get used to it, my friend. Inshallah. But at the end of the day... As long as you're enjoying that process and knowing that you're adding value and helping people, then it, the, you live a life of fulfillment. Mm. And that's what it's about at the end of the day, you know? Yes. So, um, as you are growing up there, because you strike me as an A student if from, uh, from the early age. My brother, you, I think you, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> so, you are not? No, not at all. Actually, I, I joke with the students. I always tell them first year at university was the best three years of my life. You really? Know? I, How so? I enjoyed it so much. I just did it over and over again. <laughs> I mean, uh, university is a good example. I mean, there were subjects that I, I didn't do too well in or subjects that I dropped and then I had to take it again. Mm. So I was carrying subjects and, you know, working on weekends, maybe working holidays, you know. Yes. So, uh, but it was like, like they say, now the young kids now saying it's part of the grind. Yes. That's what they're calling it. We didn't know what to call it back then. Mm. But at the end of the day, it was part of enjoying the process, meeting people, doing interesting things, making a bit of money, you know, mm. finding in the ways to get to campus, <laughs> yes. you know, putting petrol in the tank, paying for a ride. You know, it's, it's survival at the end of the day. Yes. And, and if you develop at a young age the right attitude towards that and one of positivity, coupled with the right work ethic mm. and discipline and consistency, then anything is possible. You know, mm. it just obviously with the Qudrat of Allah, the Almighty Allah, and Allah gives you rizq, and you have to realize there's certain situations where maybe this wasn't meant for you. 
But at the end of the day, if you work hard enough and you focus and you create opportunities and you work together, mm. because particularly, you know, in an African context, we have this concept of Ubuntu. Mm. And I think as South Africans, we kind of miss out on that, you know. We see it in the Jewish community. The Jews always say, you know, if one of us gets rich, five or six of us get rich with that. Mm. We, nobody gets rich alone. All right. No, there's, there's no that, that concept of self-made millionaire. That's the biggest lie I've mm. ever seen. Because it's your mother or your father that helped you, or a cousin that put you in connection, or uncle that had some money, or a friend that had a good connection. The society it takes a village to raise a child, my brother. You know, huh? as I'm sitting here now, I'm still getting goosebumps because uh, within this short period of or talking, right, I've gathered a lot and I'm still having these questions come popping into my mind. I feel like, okay, we are going to have a good time now. So I'm going to go back because now we have uh, taken us through your high school, I mean, your university moments where you had to redo uh, things over and over again. But now I want to move back into the setup of your home at that time when you were growing up as a kid. Uh, the family, uh, your, your, your parents actually, yeah. Um, were they strict and how was it like then? So, so my, my, my mother's father was actually a sheikh in the mosque and, and my, my, my father himself up until the age of about my age of 18 or 19 he was always studying part time mm. do you know degrees and doing diplomas and that kind of thing so my mother was a teacher mm. so that, that, uh, that drilling of you know consistency and discipline and work ethic and that 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 comes from a young age already you know and like i said that is most probably uh, you know allah allah you know grant them everything they want in this life you know mm. uh my parents i mean you have to thank them for for what they've done for me and they've gone out their way in many cases you know yes but i mean if they didn't do that there's no way things would have rubbed off on me Mm. And I wouldn't obviously because they always speak about standing on the shoulders of giants, you know. Yes. Because m m if you look at my mother and father and their generation, out of their generation, not many people, because of apartheid, got to go study, you know. So that's what my father was always, and eventually he got his degree in civil engineering. So over time, he was uh, obviously an inspiration, and my mother was the driving force, you know. So yes. Parents play that critical role in your your growth, and you know we always hope as parents we can give our children better, inshallah. Inshallah, you know? lovely stuff. Um, so as as you are saying this now, I do believe that uh, and understand that your influence to become the man you are right now actually is drawn from your parents at that time. Yeah, in many ways, and mm. and also the environment that you grow up in. I mean, I, I saw guys around me, you know, do like silly things and they end up in like uh, bad situations mm. and you know how did, how, how did you maintain your focus in that time because you, you know it's uh, it's very strange because I, I i think it's like the almighty's written out things for you so my my day at at during my high school primary school years my day was so jam-packed because mm. i mean i'd go to you go to school in the morning then you come home and you go to madrasa and then after madrasa, maybe there's a sport that you have to go train for or something. Yes. And then at some stage, eventually, you have to do homework. And, it, you know, so it's jam-packed. And then at the later stage, I went to Islamic high school. Mm. So the day was just very long. Which school was that? Islamia College in Cape Town. All right. So the day is very long. You mm. have, some, at some stage, some of us had 13 subjects almost. Mm. So a lot of homework. And, and then maybe you had a sport. And on the weekend, you'd have 
maybe some extramural activities or yes. community work. And that's the other thing I think that brings fulfillment in people's lives. You know, you, you, you give of yourself and your time to other people, you know, mm. and that helps the community, but it also gives you a sense of feeling or fulfillment, you know. Mm. So that kind of jam-packed calendar, you know, brings about that kind of discipline and consistency, but also keeps you out of trouble. Yes. You get me? How many were you in the family? So it was myself and my sister mm. um, growing up. But I mean, we had a lot of cousins. Okay. So my mom, we were very close to my mother's side of the family. There were about nine siblings and then a lot of cousins all grew up in the grandmother's house, you Mashallah. know, in and out. And, yes. You know, that kind of, like I said, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know? Actually, <clears throat> Actually, I was having a conversation with uh, Ladifa Brusa, who is a motivational speaker and a life coach. Yeah. She said it takes um, more than a, it takes more than a, more than a village to raise a child. Like each and every person that you have encountered in your life, they have contributed in your life exactly. to be the person you are. Yeah. So it takes the world or whoever. I can't remember the exact words she used. Yeah. She used. So yeah. that actually is a good one. So in a studio, I am with uh, esteemed guest here, the author of the climate change lessons from the Quran and Sunnah. This is uh, Dr. Ghadir Mahad, and uh, we have quite uh, gone through his life as a child, as a child growing up in, in Cape Town. But uh, we are going to find out how he met his wife soon, inshallah. I'm sure you are going to be interested in that one. <laughs> uh, doctor, I was, actually, I was uh, asking a question off air. This is about uh, you growing up in Cape Town, how you actually emerged, you know, to be a successful person you are right now. Yeah. But your response was like, no, you don't think you are successful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's all relative, Shafiq. You know, uh, like you're talking like this now. We, we always talk about success and we try to define it and stuff. But uh, I told you about the jam-packed calendar that I had, right? Mm. And, and that, that's the same going through university. And sometimes it's the same now. But I think, I mean, Allah... Allah gives us guidance and Allah tells us when he calls us to salah, he says, you know, mm. salah, you know, come to salah, falah, come to success. Mm. And if we as Muslims, I mean, uh, the Prophet says in hadith that uh, uh, if you wake up for fajr and you catch those two sunnahs, yes. those two sunnahs are worth more than the world and everything in it. Mm. So, I mean, like, wake up for fajr, make your two sunnahs on time, you know, make your salah, you know, all, the most beloved act to Allah is as-salatu fi waqtiha. Mm. You know, salah in its time. There's our success. We can say what we want to, you know, about, no, I'm a millionaire. No, I have this and I have that. That salah in its waqt, you know, on time, you know, that gives you peace of mind. That gives you structure in your day. Mm. That lets you build around. That revitalizes you and your body. I mean, there's scientific research that shows that if you make sujood, the exchange of electrons between your body and the ground actually helps clear you of negative energy. Sure. So, you know, that salah, there's more than just, it's not the up and down. You yes. Know? So, in, in under one minute, how do you um, define success? To me, like, uh, there's a saying that says, strive to be a man of value, not a man of, of, of wealth. So we, I mean, in my daily life, I'd like to think that in some way, shape or form, I'm adding value to be my students, to the consulting work that we're doing for government, to the research we're doing to help industry and, and people out there, to, you know, helping the university and drive their roles, to even if one person here on your radio station says, mm. okay, 
this guy's doing something I'm interested, let me try. Yes. Even if we're impacting one person, you know, to me, I think that is where success lies because you changing lives. Mm. You know, it doesn't, you can have all the money in the world, but I mean, how do you inspire people to do great things? Yes. That, that's true success in my opinion, you know. And getting your salah every walk on its time, you know. Mm. That's where our success lies. Mashallah. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Um, um, I, I, don't know, I don't know how should I refer to you because you said, okay, drop no, the doctor no, part. No, no, just drop so, the doctor okay. part. So but we, I just want to say, it doesn't yeah. mean I get all my oqat on time. I'm also <laughs> human, you know. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay, I, I get that. I mean, like, uh, my fajr sometimes is a bit shaky. Exactly. And even now that uh, we are getting, it, I mean, the salah of fajr now is um, much uh, later. Yeah. We are still finding it very difficult yeah, because... Cold. I don't know why, but we are going to get there because maybe you have more understanding on that part, the climate um, yeah, change yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. else. We are going to get there, inshallah. In a studio, I'm having a conversation with uh, Dr. Radir Mahad and uh, just zooming in into his life and also about his book, Climate Change, Lessons from the Quran, inshallah. We are going to be continuing with our conversations shortly after this break. Um, brother, let me now refer to you as a brother. There we go. Yeah. That sounds better. <laughs> I feel so welcome now. Eh? Thanks for that, man. <laughs> and, and you can't compare my character to the Prophet Sallallahu That's now my brother. That's now pulley and straws, man. But okay, I'll take the compliments where I can get them. Eh? I mean, you are so humble, you know. Um, I can't imagine someone of your character, I mean, of your caliber, um, having the same character that you have. So friendly, so humble, welcoming. Yeah. You see, I'm having a conversation with you right now with ease because yeah. you have allowed me. You know, the Prophet says in a hadith, right? He says, uh, uh, um, He says, Verily, the best of you or from you is the one of the best manners. Mm. Now, now, if you look at and compare that to the other hadith where the Prophet says, خيركم خيركم لأهلي, You know, he speaks about the best of you is the best to his family. Then yes. he says, He says, The best of you is the one who learns and teaches the Quran. Mm. But look how he starts the hadith about manners. He says, Inna. Mm. He says, Verily. Verily. Do you know? So, I mean, if that is not a sign to us as Muslims to show us that if we are well behaved, if we treat people well, if mm. we conduct ourselves in an appropriate manner, if we, then uh, success is only a byproduct. Yes. I know. Mm. So, it, it's all part of the game, my brother, mm. you know? I'm a doctor. Okay, brother. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> shukran, shukran, shukran. You are not just a, um, a secular, you know, scholar. You yeah. also studied Islam, which led you to um, writing a book, which is Climate Change Lessons mm. from the Quran and Sunnah. Yeah. Let's get into the book itself because I went through the book and I found it very, very fascinating. How did it come about? So, my brother, uh, my late grandfather, Allah uh, um, Allah give him Jannah. Allah. He was sick in from the years about 2000, 2009. Hmm. And at that time, I was doing my master's thesis, but I also was struggling with issues around my master's thesis. So I would be with him hmm. at his bedside or in the lounge at his house, sitting there, waiting for him to call me. And But while I was sitting, I was obviously reading. So hmm. he had books of tafsir, he had, you know, the Quran was there. And we talk a little bit sometimes because he was a sheikh in the mosque. And you know, he studied in the Middle East many years ago and we talk sometimes and then he got me thinking about these things man, because I thought to myself like, why study what you're studying when you can't marry it with mm. the religion? Yes, you know? yes. I mean, what's the purpose of doing what you're doing 
if there's no relationship to, to, to your purpose in life, you know, as mm. a Muslim. And then I thought to myself, well, climate change, you know, uh, there's changes in weather and that kind of stuff. And I looked for these events yes. in, in the Quran and I started trying to study them in depth and going to the tafsir and the hadith and so forth and so on. Mm. And he, he, he passed away, you know, a few years ago. And initially it started out as a conference paper in 2009. Went to Kenya, I think, 2010 to present the conference paper. And then it just expanded over. So it's taken about 10 years to get to the point whereby it was a book. Mm. You know, like Denzel Washington says, I'm a, I'm a 10 year o- overnight success. <laughs> you know, yes. are, if you want to take that. But I mean, that consistency around working, and I think it's purely the fascination of the link between our religion and what we're doing or studying. Mm. And that sort of drives you, you know, to a point whereby you feel, look, this is important, not just for me, but for other Muslims to be able to understand. How climate change fits into Islam or does Islam have a solution? Mm. You know, what does Islam say about this? Is there cases of this, etc., etc.? Yes. And that's why I thought, oh, let me just produce the text and share it with everybody. You know? So you have spoken, I mean, in, in the book you have spoken quite a lot of things uh, which, uh, you know, there is quite uh, Islamic evidence. Mm. Um, recently, we have seen a cyclone um, Freddy. Yeah. which uh, swept through uh, Mozambique all the way to Malawi. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was hectic there. And also you touched uh, on the, so many things like um, a, a climate change, of course, and also the plague. But uh, speaking about uh, the flooding itself, here in South Africa, mm-hmm. we have seen quite a lot of things, uh, quite a lot of floods taking yeah. place. Um, what is it that you can tell us more about uh, this from the Quran yeah. and also scientific L- part in, of it? In, in recent times, I think maybe let's start with the scientific thing. There's, so there's a lot of studies that have been done by different scientists in different fields mm. that have shown that climate change is actually cyclical. Mm. Every there'll be maybe a big, a big drought every thousand years, just as an example, mm. or even a bigger drought every 10,000 years, or a large flooding event every 100 years, etc. So these are natural cyclical things that are occurring, mm. and they, it's in the geological record. They've studied it. They know it's there. In a South African context, we see that there's more intense, and in global instances as well, they've shown, and there's studies that have done this, that show that the, the, the events are becoming... Less frequent, but mm. more intense. I'll give you an example. Last year, January 2022, we went into the Karoo, Beaufort West, Sutherland, you know, the Western Karoo. Mm. And there were rivers flowing. Now, I've been working in the Karoo on and off almost 15 years. Yes. And I've spoken to people in the Karoo. Mm. Most people have never seen a river flow in the Karoo. The Karoo is the closest thing to a desert that we have in this country. Yes. Less than 200, less than 500 millimeters of rainfall per year. But the rivers were flowing. You know, so that in South African context, from what we're seeing and happening and the studies that have been done before, it's occurring more regularly. Mm. But it's extreme events like floods that will wipe out the parts of a town or completely flood a town. Mm. And they're becoming more intense, but less, less regular. And yes. in some cases, more intense and even more regular. But depending on, on, on where you are and how you look at it. From a Quranic perspective, we look uh, in the story of Nabi Yusuf, and the story of Nabi Musa. Yes. The story of Nabi Yusuf is the only story in the Quran that occurs in one surah in chronological order. Mm. So that in itself is a miracle. But Nabi Yusuf speaks about interpretation of the dream of a king 
We talks about seven fat cows and seven thin cows and seven dry ears of corn and seven, you know, full ears of corn. And yes. he interprets it as seven good years and seven bad years. Sure. Now, in a modern context, seven good years, seven bad years, scientifically relates to the El Nino and the La Nina. El Nino is Spanish for little boy and La Nina is Spanish for little girl. But these are weather phenomena that start off of the coast of Chile in South America mm. and, and they're connected globally and they obviously drive cycles, right? Yes. So imagine the Quran 1400 years ago tells us about El Nino. I mean, who would have thought, you know? Mm. That's just my humble interpretation of it. In another place we see in the story of Abu Musa, for example, yes. where the flood occurs and the flood is the trigger to other events occurring. And we're seeing this Good example, West Africa in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had this African Rift Valley fever. Yes, yes, yes. Where, where uh, the flood occurred and then there was uh, fever and diseases that occurred because of that. So the, the flooding of the Nile in particular needs to occur for sediment, right, mm. to, to, to flood. But obviously since the Aswan Dam has been built, that has had an adverse effect on the nutrients downstream. Mm. But I mean, in a nutshell, flooding of rivers is natural, yes. you know. But extreme flooding or extreme drought has other consequences like plague, mm. like fevers, like mm. spread of disease. Like yes. so, these things are happening in the Quran. It's happening today's day and age. And the Quran spoke about it and tells us. And in certain instances, even if we look at the story of Nabi Yusuf, Nabi Musa, uh, the Nabi Yusuf says, "And save the corn or save the grain in the seven good years for the seven bad years." So the Quran even gives us examples of resource management. Mm. You get me? So yes. by means of a case study, and even in the hadith, Prophet said, if you are at a running stream, don't waste water. Mm. Now we know a running stream is a lot of water. Yes. You know? Yes. So there's examples in the Quran and the Sunnah that show us, look here, don't be wasteful, you know? Mm. Conserve your resources. Help the next man. And this is how we help mitigate climate change. Actually, uh, when I saw the Cyclone Freddy um, sweeping through... Malawi, the first thing I could think of it was um, your book, you know, uh, on this chapter where you speak about history repeat itself. Yeah, I, I do remember uh, back in the days, my grandmother told me about the flooding that took place in one other part of the country, yeah. and I was like, you know, relating to that, okay, so actually, this is what we have been warned yeah and um this is where now even our governments need to take a precaution on taking measures seeing yeah. that this has happened now and uh, we have to prepare for the future exactly mm. so let's talk about uh, your life i know you're so passionate about uh, you know climate change and everything else mm. but i want us i want me actually in particular and our listeners to actually learn more about you yourself we are still going to touch on the book as well um going back to 20 2010 Right, yeah. you were voted one of the brightest young minds in South Africa. It's a long time ago, please, man. Of course, <laughs> we are still coming back with it. <laughs> and that was a male and guardian top 200 young South Africans to take to um, lunch for 2011 and award Islamic Economic Forum Global Young Fellow for 2013, and also received Nelson Mandela Alumni Society Rising Star Award for 2017. I mean, there are so many things we can speak about uh, in terms of your achievement. So many things. Um, let's go through your achievements, right? Your success. You said you don't feel like you are successful and everything else, but uh, who actually helped you out along the journey? You know, Brother Shafiq, I think like like 
awards, awards and recognitions and, you know, these kind of ceremonies and, and uh, okay, understandable, we live in a society where those things are important, right? Mm. And to certain people, it's a case of it being competition and that kind of stuff. And there's one great, uh, there's a scholar called Nassim Nicholas Talib. He wrote a, a book on black swans, mm. uh, which are like anomalous events. And he says we shouldn't, we shouldn't boil, you know, knowledge down to competition because it's not good for us. Mm. But in the same breath also, in the society we live in and how it functions, unfortunately, a, a friend of mine at high school always said, nobody remembers second place. Mm. Which is sad. Yes. Because if, we, if we're building our whole life around just, you know, amassing and collecting and awards and titles and then, I mean, what's the purpose, you know? Yes. I think we should always be of the opinion that those are byproducts that might be able to help us to do other things, you know? Mm. People read the CV, oh, no, we'll give you the job. Or you, they read the CV, oh, no, come talk to us. Or I think it becomes a case of that begins to be seen as adding value but also we shouldn't just be chasing that yes because that isn't the be all and the end all like i said earlier you climb one mountain it's only the beginning of another mountain yes so enjoy enjoy the process you know mm. if you get the award oh, well done you know great and stuff but don't let it go to your head yes because i see i mean I, i'll take a, i'll make an example i mean i went to a high school that was extremely competitive and those guys that were first, second, third, fourth, fifth, I mean, you go speak to them and you see where they are today. Mm. The drive from high school has completely vanished. Definitely. They come to university, you know, they don't have that, as they say, that lust for life anymore. Yes. So, you know, enjoy the process, enjoy, enjoy what you're doing and, and be passionate about it. So speaking about that, actually, earlier on, you, you spoke about working in the, you know, in one of the shops, in the shops rather. And right now we have seen the protests at Nelson Mandela University, uh, I don't know, University of Cape Town, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is, is it a UCT? Yeah. yeah. And then we have seen in Pretoria also the UJ band, as well, UJ. Yeah. I mean, it's worldwide. The students are fighting for NASFAS and everything else. Yeah. What's your take on that? Look, in my opinion, there's, there's attitudes towards things. I can understand that 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 based on, you know, previous discussions and things that happened before and the history of our country and taking all those things into, into, into context that these things are a problem. But, I mean, from a point of departure, we must also understand that as much as university has been seen as this, you know, uh, job-creating or, or, or ticket that, that, that will lead me to a better future, there are other places also that one can gain an education because we see now a decline in the number of plumbers, carpenters, skilled laborers. Yes. Those are also skills that we need to be thinking about, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the way, I think the way we're going about it, some people see the university also as like a free ride or free meal ticket where they're getting funding or there's money mm-hmm. and I'm just going to milk it, you know? But this, it's a lot of hard work, you know? You need discipline and consistency. And unfortunately, the reality is... Over the years, I mean, I've been lecturing now maybe about 10 years, you see a decline in the quality of the student, but the university, and it's because South African universities, I can tell you from experience, Yes. globally, if you look at the quality of the student we produce from the first degree, it's actually very good compared to even other universities where they must first go do a master's degree to get onto a good level. Yes. So the level at our universities is actually very decent. 
and we produce very good professionals. Mm. So I don't think we should drop that. I think it should be a case of we, we need to work on other systems and support around that. You know, and, and attitude. I mean, mm. you know, there's a saying it says attitude, your attitude determines your altitude. So the attitude of students towards learning also needs to change a little bit, you know. Lovely. So speaking about, uh, you know, the learning and the attitude. So I just want us to get into the approach of um, our education system right yeah. now, education system yeah. with our economic system. I usually yeah. ask this question a lot when I have people of your yeah. um, caliber. Yeah. Many people actually have the sentiments yeah. of saying that uh, the education system that we have right now is failing us and it is not compatible with uh, yeah. our economic system. Yeah. So, so look, that's a double-edged sword. You have to look at it from the perspective of uh, uh, th- there's two sides to the story. Uh, universities are training students, correct, mm. for the real world. But the, there's things that they want in the real world that the university doesn't necessarily get. So there's that mismatch whereby some academics are sitting in ivory towers and they're just teaching things for the sake of teaching it. Mm. But I, I, I think we should go back to basics from the perspective. I'll give you an example. There's something called the Montessori system. Mm. Uh, there's a lady, an Italian, Italian nurse or doctor, many years ago, Maria Montessori. She, she was observe, observing children and she saw the children in nursery school and people were looking at the crumbs and picking up the crumbs and counting the crumbs. And she was trying to figure out why are these kids doing this? And she developed a system around training children, right. which is fundamentally based on, on, on project learning and looking at how do kids solve problems holistically. And mm. it's not about just the content. And I think the shift has been in a big way towards purely the content. Mm. And, and I, I take a page from her book whereby we try to look at developing uh, the child holistically to the point that it's, a, it's, a, it's the example of if you're going to grade a fish on how he climbs a tree, then he's always going to think that he's not smart. Mm. You get me? Yes. So but you have to look at the child, the context, the, and what kind of skills are the outcomes. And so there's a lot that needs to be looked at. I'll give you an example from, from a page from my book. When, before the child even comes into the class, I've given him reading mm. and maybe a YouTube video and something else to go watch. All right. Then he comes into the class. We run through the theory a little bit. Are there questions? No, no questions. Okay, no problem. Then we test them one-on-one. All right. On some of the content so they can see okay, they're understanding it mm. that's besides the big project that they have in a group and maybe a practical that they have to go do in the field mm. and maybe a small coding project that they must do with data so you have to immerse the student into a learning environment mm. because the child doesn't learn in class that concept of a child comes to class and I talk and talk for two hours as a professor because I'm the professor, I must profess. Yes. Right? Yes. Those days are gone. Mm. I mean, a lecturer and a teacher, we are curators of knowledge. Because a child can pick up a phone, go to Google or chat GPT and find anything they want. Mm. Whether it's correct or incorrect is a different story. Yes. So as an educator, you need to curate that knowledge that pool of knowledge, mm. guide the child in a, in a, in a project-based learning methodology or group learning or different ways because everybody learns differently. Yes. And make sure everybody's getting a little bit of each so that they can get the whole picture and then make sure there's outcomes in terms of problem-solving and skills development. Mm. 
it's no longer that you know old school way of thinking you know uh, that was going to be my next question um as we were speaking about education there like uh, how do you deal with difficult kids uh, maybe who have difficulty in learning mm. but i think you have explained everything in here like it's yeah. much thorough there yeah so let's come back to your we only have like a uh, four three minutes before we go to maghrib salah and also maybe to round up the conversation um if uh, it might be you have actually traveled um, the world um interacting with uh, so many people you have been uh, you know I'm, I'm just trying to paint the picture like in a way that sums up everything about you you know so that people can understand better in your interaction with uh, people in Tunisia, Germany, and everything else—I mean, all the other African countries that you have travelled into—what is it that you have found out that uh, it is in common uh, for us as human beings, right? And also, what is it that South Africans actually can learn, or something that we are not doing right mm. that we can take from other countries? There's, you know, there's so much to learn when you travel. I think my grandfather always used to say, "Alhamdulillah, Jannah." Traveling is actually the university of life. Mm. You travel and you're forced to work in situations. Maybe you have no money. Maybe there's no place to sleep. Maybe there's nothing to eat. But you're traveling and you're learning these things about yourself and other people. Mm. You go through Europe, you see your communities, and it's true here as well, your immigrant communities mm. that come there with nothing, right? They build up for themselves over a generation, two generations, three generations, intergenerational wealth. They build it up together as a family or as families or as friends. And they become the economic and financial powerhouses of those countries. Mm. We see it happening in South Africa with people from Zimbabwe, Malawians, I mean, you know, yes. from outside that come here, mm. that start up businesses, that build them. And they are the ones that eventually have the economic power. Mm. And I think there's a lot to learn as South Africans because... In certain instances, yes, we've been through adversity because of apartheid. Yes. But we need to take that adversity and use it in a way to drive us forward to innovate and do things that other people haven't done before. Because uh, some African guys, I speak to the joke with me, they tell me, ah, you South Africans, you like the Americans of Africa, man. <laughs> and in, in some ways, you think about it and like, that's actually true. Mm. It's actually scary because we, I mean, we've become comfortable, you know. Yes. And we should never be too comfortable. We should always be driving ourselves, you know, and making sacrifices and going through struggles and finding new ways to do things. And if we do that, we'll keep innovating. Because in apartheid, we were the innovators. Yes. Cecil came about as an innovation. They developed technology that they're using all over the world to convert coal to liquid mm. or gas to liquid. Yes. That they patented because apartheid cut us off. Mm. You get me? So those kind of things that we need to really look at how we're doing things at the end of the day. Lovely. Okay, so in um in, in parting, in um in closing rather, mm. um you have the book, right? Where can we get the book for, for those who cannot get an access to a hard copy, which I have in a studio with me right now? Um if one needs a copy mm. of your book, Climate Change Lessons from the Quran and Sunnah. So I put it on Amazon Kindle. I think it's quite cheap. It's like a few dollars. I tried to take the cheapest option to make it available for everybody. All right. The link is on my website, uh, www.hathirmaya.com. 
And then there's a couple of other things and, and blogs and videos about the work you've been doing as a lab and the research and some of the, the advisory stuff I've been doing personally. Mm. You guys can go have a look there as well. But uh, it's available on Amazon Kindle. And I've left a few copies here with you. So I think you can maybe do a giveaway if you want to. Inshallah. You know, that kind of thing. But mm. yeah, I haven't really put it into stores yet. All right. Inshallah, that's probably the next phase. You know, try and speak to the Islamic stores, exclusive books, those kind of things. Inshallah. Inshallah. So any, any new projects coming up soon? At the moment, look, uh, we've been working with the university to help them with water saving and, and, and you know, that kind of thing. Our, our focus is largely around groundwater. Mm. So we, we're always trying to look at new things, new ideas in that arena. And inshallah, you know, wherever we can add value, you know, be it to the municipality or the university or even some, you know, local businesses, we, we, we try our best in that regard. Shukran for that. And shukran to you. Shukran for the listeners. Mashallah. And shukran for joining us for today. Inshallah, we are going to be having more conversation thoroughly um, as, as time progresses because there are quite a lot of things that we need to speak about. Speaking uh, about geology and all those kind of things, the things that I didn't get to ask you, which I felt like I should have asked you. Uh, but uh, because of the time, we, can, we cannot speak about everything. No problem. I think you have done quite a lot of things. And uh, that needs actually the entire week, you know, to finish <laughs> up everything. But otherwise, shukran for joining us today. Shukran to you, brother. Shukran. Good to the listeners. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.